The podcast you're about to listen to was taken from one of our live programs. If you don't already listen to Radio Maria Live, you can do so on DAB in selected regions of the United Kingdom or by downloading the app. Just search for Radio Maria Play. All the Radio Maria podcasts are conveniently stored on this app. We'd like to thank all our listeners who support us with monthly donations so that we can continue to be a Christian voice by your side. To find out more about becoming a monthly supporter, visit www.radiomariaengland.uk. Listening to Radio Maria. Welcome if you've just joined us. And we have with us Derek Williams. He's going to be speaking with us this evening about Mary. Derek, do introduce yourself. Any listeners that haven't met you before, tell us who you are. Um, so, introduction um, 58 on Sunday. There we go. My ah. birthday on Sunday. Yay! <laughs> and um, I've been a lifelong Catholic. Um, but when I was 24, I had a particular encounter with God, which radically changed my faith and um, turned my life upside down in a good way. And um, one of the fruits of that was I bought myself a Bible um, and read the Bible cover to cover several times, couldn't couldn't put it down, and also really got on my knees um i felt called to um, a lot of prayer so i'd spend hours each day in prayer and um that was when i was 24 and the fruit of that is um i have a real love for catholic evangelization um, i have a passion to see england come back to the true faith that we were full of just 500 years ago 500 years ago is a drop in the ocean in the life of the church and you know, for a thousand years, this nation was Catholic and God will restore it. And that's one of my passions. I love listening to people, sharing the truth with people, leading people to a deeper faith in Christ one-on-one. But also I speak at many conferences. So next week, Radio Maria will be broadcasting from Birmingham Conference. And I think I'll be uh, broadcasting over the airwaves from there. I'm sure that their broadcasting will, will coincide with one or two of my teachings. So you'll hear me. So it'd be a very different experience. You'll hear me t- talking over the radio. There's a very different dynamic when you're talking live. As you probably noticed, if you tuned into New Dawn last week and heard me talking at New Dawn, it's a it's a different experience. I think Aileen's nudging closer to the microphone. It looks like she wants to say something. <laughs> I, I was just I was just yeah yeah that's very perceptive. I I've seen you live um, in Cambridge here when you came, mm. spoke to us live, and I've also. Obviously, I, I also share the radio with you at times as well. Uh, do, you, which, do, you, do you have a preference or are they both special in their own way? Um, uh, do I have a preference? Um, sometimes talking over the radio, you feel like you're taking a bit of a leap of faith because you've no idea who's tuning in or what have you. Um, so sometimes it's a bit um, it's a bit of a stab in the dark. But it's a comfortable stab in the dark. I'm here in my Pustinia, which is my prayer room, and so I feel quite comfortable doing this. Um, when you stand up in, in, in New Dawn, um, rather than a stab in the dark, it feels like you're jumping off the edge of a cliff. <laughs> so you've got you've got these over a thousand people gathered, you know, um, and you're on the altar, on, on the sanctuary, sorry, um, and you're introduced and then your, your stomach flips and you think, right, I've got to say something now and it better not be something stupid. So you, you kind of wonder what's going to come out of your mouth. With Radio Maria, it seems like with the radio, it seems like there's a slightly different experience because you're thinking more about what's going on inside your head rather than the people around you. You're more focused. I feel like when I'm talking here, I'm more focused on my words, whereas when I'm at a conference, I'm a little bit more focused on the people and what I need to say to to them. So it's a different dynamic in, in me anyway. I don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever. It does, it does. And I think, I don't know if you noticed this as well, Derek, but this intimacy with the listener 
You know, you always, mm. you always know that it, there's at least one person, even that, if, even if that's me or the facilitator. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think that's quite special. I, I, I kind of like that. I like sometimes, especially when, the, when you guys sit there and we can see each other on video. The listeners may not realize that, but we can actually see each other. And so whether, whether it's you or Eddie or Tom, there's a, there's a sort of a connection going backwards and forwards, you know, sometimes face-to-face, eye-to-eye contact or what have you. And I know that some, when, I'm, when I'm broadcasting with Eddie, we tend to have a bit of fun sometimes with our connections and with our talk. Um, but also, I'm also, you are right, I'm also aware that um, people actually tell me, you know, oh, Derek, when you're talking, I'm usually doing the ironing yeah. and I'm usually driving or I'm often at work. So I know people are out there doing certain activities and that actually is in my head sometimes. And I'm thinking, okay, they're right there, they're listening. So speak to their hearts, tell them what the Lord wants them to hear at this moment. And that is kind of like what tonight's teaching is about. It's not. It's not really about the devotional side of Our Lady. Uh, it's really about, I want to talk more about the relationship side. And there's going to be quite a, I wanted to be, put in a bit of personal testimony about my own relationship with Our Lady to see if that would, I don't know, stir the listener in any, any way. Thank you, Derek. We're really looking forward to listening. So let's together sure. enjoy what you've got to say. We're listening. Great. Well, I'll crack on. And, you know, like you said, it's um, it's just under a week to the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary on Tuesday, the 15th of August. Um, I was talking a few minutes ago about my experience way back in February 1990. And it was a few months after that experience, that encounter with God, that I went on a pilgrimage to Medjugorje. And it was a very much last minute thing. I was 24. Um, I was single and I was working in a good job. And I think it was about a week before I went that I just heard about Medjugorje and thought, you know, I'm going to take a week off and go. So I did. I just booked a week off work and just flew out to Medj. And um, so I was there for the Assumption. I was there for my birthday and the Assumption, which for me was a very beautiful experience, very powerful experience and a very peaceful experience. If there's one thing I found there, and to be honest with you, you know, with your status on Medjugorje, don't worry too much about it in this because... For me, it, it wasn't a question of whether there were apparitions or not. For me, it was a question of when I went there, I was going to a, you know, a pilgrim site, and I encountered God very powerfully, and I found it so easy to pray in Medjugorje. I could pray rosary after rosary. The Mass was beautiful. Adoration was powerful and touching doing the way of the cross, doing the devotions of a, as a Catholic, you often felt, you know, sometimes when I'm praying, and I'm sure you, you can experience this, when we're praying, it sometimes can feel like we're wading through mud or we've hit a brick wall or there's a darkness, you know, in terms of the dark night, there's silence and so on. When I was in Medjugorje, it just felt like I was in a river. It's such a powerful, powerful experience of just being caught in this powerful river and flowing in God's presence. And it felt like God was right in front of me. Um, when I came back from Medjugorje, I was back into the mud. <laughs> I'm kneeling down in my bedroom, trying to pray the rosary, and thinking, oh my goodness, this is hard work. Um, but that was my first assumption, if you like. Um, the first time I really recognized the Assumption Feast when I was 24. So I'll pull for, before I proceed, I'm pulling this reading out for you. This is from next Tuesday's Mass, the first reading. The Sanctuary of God in, oh, from the Book of the Apocalypse or the Book of Revelation, however you want to call it. The Sanctuary of God in Heaven opened and the Ark of the Covenant could be seen inside it. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman adorned with the sun, standing on the moon, with the twelve stars on her head for a crown. And she was pregnant and in labor, crying aloud in the pangs of childbirth. Now, Scott Hahn teaches on this. I think, I forget the name of the book now. He wrote a book on Our Lady. And I remember me reading it years ago, and it, it was a very powerful book. Um, do you remember what it's called, Aileen? Um, the book written by Scott Hahn? Sorry to cause you to jump away there. Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't. But um, he, um, yeah, he's, was it about his conversion or 
No, it's the one that he wrote on Our Lady. He oh, wrote one specifically on Mary. I'll look it up while you're cool. speaking. Cool, cool. Be good to let the listeners know. I'm sure that one of the two listeners have actually heard of it. Anyway, he 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 was the one who, when he wrote, when he spoke about this scripture, because in the Bible, the first line, the sanctuary of God in heaven opened, and the ark of the covenant could be seen inside it. That is in chapter eleven. The next sentence, now a great sign appeared in heaven. That is in chapter twelve. In the Greek original version of the Bible, it's not separated by chapter and verse, so it flows one to the other. And so it's appropriate that the church in its liturgy has put the two together, because the Ark of the Covenant is the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Blessed Virgin Mary is the Ark of the Covenant. In terms of the Ark of the Covenant is, a typolo is typologically Our Lady, and Our Lady fulfills what the Ark of the Covenant is about. Now, the church is using this scripture to look at the assumption of the Virgin Mary, and yet, in the scripture, the Virgin Mary is pregnant. It's also worth noting that um, it points out about 12 stars on her head, and it doesn't say there were 12 stars on her head for a crown. It says the 12 stars on her head for a crown. Clearly pointing to 12 particular individuals that were in heaven, which would be the apostles. Why would you call the apostles stars? Well, if you read, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 11 or 12, St. Paul talks about the resurrection from the dead. And in it, he says, each of us will have a particular glory. And he refers to that glory as being like the moon and the stars. So some of us will shine brighter than others, and some lesser. But each of us will have the glory which is appropriate to us. And there you have the twelve apostles shining like stars in heaven, and they form a crown for the Blessed Virgin Mary. They shine around her. They are around her throne. Just as on Pentecost Sunday, the twelve apostles were gathered around Our Lady when Christ had gone back to heaven. They gathered around her. Um, and um, just flowing from that thinking then, it then goes into uh, she was pregnant. And then it says in labor. And it's intriguing that the church, giving us a reading on the assumption, picks a reading where Our Lady is pregnant and in labor. So it's beautiful that there's a, there's a little, almost like a sign of contradiction going on here. Um, but it's, it's worth noting that the assumption of Our Lady is intrinsically connected both to her Immaculate Conception her giving birth to the Christ child, and her giving birth to each one of us. How does Mary give birth to each one of us? How can she give birth to us? Well, this is another reading um, that is very popular. Um, it's not the reading for the Assumption. Um, that, I think, next Tuesday is going to be from um, Our Lady's Visitation. But... Um, the reading is when Jesus is on the cross, dying, and he speaks, Woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. When we read such words that Christ speaks, we always have to remember that when Christ speaks a word, his word is creative. So with one word, he created the universe. Every planet, every star, every sun, he creates with one word. Let it be. And Genesis tells us it was so. He did so with everything else. He doesn't just create with that word. He sustains everything in being with that word. We exist. The reason we exist is because Christ causes our existence. He's the first cause of our existence, and he keeps us in existence. He keeps every angel in existence by the power of his word. So when he speaks, woman, behold your son, his creative word at that point makes her mother of us all. And um, one of the popes, I think Pope Pius IX, maybe, um, gave us the um, uh, Mary as mother of the church. And a few years ago, 
Pope Francis gave us the feast, Mary, Mother of the Church, which falls on the Monday after Pentecost Sunday. So Mary, as the mother, is caused to be mother of the Church and of us because of the words of her son, her, his infinite, creative, powerful word. And that takes us to another sort of aspect of this um, teaching, um, which is Mary, for us, needs to be more than just a devotion. She needs to be more than just us praying a rosary, doing a novena, um, going to celebrate a feast of her. There has to be relationship. Uh, sometimes she can be reduced to a devotion, a devotional practice. But Mary as mother is uh, an intimate relationship, and the purpose of the relationship is to draw us into a deep union with her son. And this is something that I got confused about many, many years ago, way back in 1990, when I was learning my faith. And I was thinking, well, what's the point of Mary? What's the point of her, her in the church and so on? And people say, oh, she leads you to Christ. And I say, but I'm led to Christ. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So hasn't she done her job? What's, you know, what, what else is there to do? I have Jesus. And people would often say this to me. You know, I've got Jesus in my life. I don't need Mary anymore. No, no. Mary leads us to an intimacy with Christ, which is deep and pure and um powerful, what the saints would call mystical marriage on earth. And the journey to mystical marriage can take your life. Some souls might not even attain it in this life. The majority do not seem to. I say do not seem to because we don't know what happens at the last minutes in people's lives, and we never know sometimes what's happening in a person's soul. But the majority do not seem to make it to the state of mystical marriage in this life. But that's where Mary is leading us. She's leading us to the wedding chamber. Where, where true fruitfulness is to be had. And if you look at the saints down through the centuries, especially the ones who had the devotion to Mary, and not that devotion, so it was a relationship with Mary, not just doing the prayers, but a lived relationship. Those saints, um, especially in the 21st, 20th century, you know, we had so many saints who had a particularly powerful devotion to Our Lady. Um, they, they attained the heights of holiness, and their lives produced the most incredible fruit. Um, if I just pull out John Paul, Pope John Paul II, and, you know, that would lead me to another phase of what I'm trying to say to you. He, um, he gave his, the phrase for his pontificate was totus to us. And I knew exactly what he meant because I had been doing, I had come across true devotion to Mary by St. Louis de Montfort, the 17th century French priest. And um, John Paul II had himself followed this devotion for many years. And he had pulled the phrase totus to us straight out of Louis de Montfort's true devotion to Mary. It was the Latin phrase of, I am all yours. Okay. Now, some people may say, actually, when you're saying, I am Jesus, well, that's the phrase used by Louis de Montfort. I am all yours, dear mother, and all that I have is yours. And what Louis de Montfort was teaching us is the more we are abandoned to Mary, then the more perfectly we can be abandoned to Christ. And this is a very important part of Catholic theology because we might say, well, can't I just be abandoned to Christ? Well, Christ has given us an order in the way of grace. It's not chaotic. Our life of grace is orderly. And in that order of grace, Jesus has given us a mother. Now, in order for Jesus to get to earth, he had to abandon himself completely into the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. That was his way to become incarnate, to become human, to become flesh, and to save humanity, to redeem, to save humanity. He abandoned himself completely and totally to the Blessed Virgin Mary's womb and into her arms because it was, you know, once he's born, she's the one who nurses him, cleans him, carries him, suckles him, and weans him, 
and spent and the first few years of Jesus's life is spent with Mary according to Jewish tradition. He doesn't spend time with Joseph, the quality time. He doesn't spend a big quality time with Joseph until after his bar mitzvah. Before his bar mitzvah, he's with his mother. As with all Jewish children, it's their family tradition. Jesus wants us to follow the same route. He wants us to be completely abandoned to the Blessed Virgin Mary in order that the fullness of the fruits of redemption and salvation can be made manifest in our lives. Okay. Now, I've done my traditional 25 minutes or thereabouts, Aileen, and I'm just wondering if we have a song in the pipeline. <laughs> we, do, we do have a song. I'm going to let you know, first of all, the name of the book um, by Scott Hahn, because I looked that up for you. It's Hail Holy Queen. By Scott that's, the that's the one, isn't that's it? The one. And um, yeah. the music I'm going to play, I'm hoping it's a, a nice track. I'm using a CD tonight and um, I'm I'm familiar with it, but I don't know the name. So let's let's see which one, which hymn or song is coming out. And we will be back with you very soon, Derek. listening to Radio Maria and this is our Diving Deeper programme with Derek Williams and um, Derek we have you back on air um, I wanted to ask you a question you were talking about the book of Revelation and the vision St John has the vision doesn't he? he's the writer of the book of Revelation am I right he is he yeah. is that's right and, um, and there's a vision of the pregnant woman with the five the 12 stars on her head and I remember when I was I went to a teaching with a good vicar friend of mine um, at the university I used to to work at and when I saw this, we were we were studying the book of Revelation in an ecumenical group. And when I saw this piece of scripture, I, I was absolutely, oh, there's Our Lady. That's that's where we understand much of what we have in you know our Catholic understanding. And he said, well, you might say that, but no, this is the 12 tribes of Israel. And he was talking about a very different interpretation. And I just wondered if you could give us a little bit more on that, the the non, you know, how how we as Catholics understand that differently, and maybe what the other view is. And certainly, um, this is a really important point, um, and we can actually respect the um, position of the other denominations because the study of sacred scripture allows us to 
uh, to see different interpretations, as it were, or different ways of opening up the Word of God. So it's, it's reasonable to actually read that and say, yes, here we have the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 stars and so on. Um, but when it comes to Catholic teaching, we know we're on very, very safe ground because the Catholic Church has doesn't doesn't you don't get John Paul the you don't get John Paul the second. I was thinking about him because I was looking at him earlier. But let's take Pope Francis. Um, you don't get Pope Francis writing a document or purely based on what he thinks should be said to the faithful. They draw on two thousand years and more of teaching and they're looking to the church fathers who are always a safe bet but always a safe bet in the light of good theology not all the church fathers for example not all their writings are good and not all were canonized so we need to be aware of this when we look at them but nonetheless you have a pretty safe bet with the vast majority of them um, and then you have the saints and magisterial writings so you have a lot to say if we want to look at a certain scripture and we want to look at it in a certain light, then we can say, okay, well, what does on this? And yet one of the things the church teaches about this is Mary clothed with the sun. And also, <laughs> when I started talking about this at the start of the show, I, 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 I pulled out the liturgy for next, next Tuesday. And the liturgy, first of all, pulls out the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if we're going to say that the person is Israel, then it wouldn't be the Ark of the Covenant associated with Israel in that way. But because it's Mary, then we're saying, hold on a minute, but Mary's been recognized as the Ark of the Covenant from the earliest times, from the early, you know, centuraneous and such like, um, from the early, earliest church fathers. So we are on a safe ground there. Yeah. The other thing is, the other question mark I would have over the woman being identified as Israel is she's female. <laughs> um, the word Israel is, is masculine. Now, God sometimes does refer to, to Israel as his bride, but um, I'd suggest most of the time Israel is, is a masculine word in the Old Testament. It's a man. And the 12 tribes were masculine. Um, so we can actually question that idea, and we would be right to do so, because, you know, the study of theology, the study of sacred scripture is a science. And it's very important that we question science. And people often used to say to me, oh, it's not good to question the faith, is it? And I'd say, actually, it's the opposite. It's very good to question the faith. It's very good. So in confirmation classes, children are encouraged to question the catechist. Um, and I encourage people to question me when I give seminars and conferences. You know, please do question me. Please raise your doubts. Please challenge my theology. I have no problem with it at all. And I'm ready to learn, you know, because I know that I don't know everything. And that's important. You know, the more I study theology, the more I know I don't know, um, if that makes sense. So we're always learning. And so it's really good for us to learn from one another. And, you know, I learned this only a few weeks ago, in fact, on a Facebook thing, on a, on a Hebrew group I was studying with. And somebody was asking the meaning of a Hebrew word. And I popped out my little comment. And then somebody else followed it up with a slightly lengthier comment. And, and I said, oh, yes, good point. And I actually responded to him saying, thank you. I actually completely misread the word, which I had done. I'd completely mistranslated the word. So I said, so I popped on a thank you. And I got more likes for my recognizing my error than I got for my original post, which, which shows you that people actually like it when we recognize our own limitations in terms of our knowledge. Um, now, I'll give you an incredibly lengthy answer <laughs> to that nice question you posed. Yeah, thank you so much. I think, funnily enough, when I heard this from my um, from my vicar friend, one of the things that opened up for me when I thought about it afterwards was that Mary, when she said yes, says yes on behalf of Israel. She sort of represents Israel when she gives that faithful answer of yes to God and also says yes on behalf of humankind. So there's a representative aspect, but the Ark of the Covenant, that is the word inside the the precious box, isn't it? And that's 
Well, it's not just the word. Carry okay. On, tell, tell us more. Sure. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? There were three items placed in there. There was a pot. There was a uh, some manna from the desert, uh, yes. which is which is type of, which is type the type of the Eucharist. There was uh, the broken commandments, which uh -huh. Moses brought down. So you have the word. Yes. Um, which is once again Christ, the Logos, and then there was the the rod of Aaron. So Aaron, as the priest, he's when he something I think something went wrong. I can't remember the story now. He's done it really well because he used to teach on the Ark of the Covenant, um, and he his rod. That's right. They were questioning the authority, and Moses was saying that the one who is the, the real high priest let his rod bloom or something like that, and Aaron's rod bloomed like St. Joseph had a had a staff which bloomed or something. And that rod then was, after Aaron's death, was put into the Ark of the Covenant, or during his life was put into the Ark of the Covenant. So you have these three items, and you say, well, what is the purpose of that rod? It's to demonstrate God's authority, God's chosen person. Okay, so we can't question God's choice in his elect, in who he chooses to do a task. So within the Ark of the Covenant, we have the authority given to the person who has been chosen. So that's Our Lady, uh, who's given the office of Mother of God, which cannot be argued with. That's been a teaching in the church. One of the earliest teachings about Our Lady was Theotokos, Mother of God. Not, mother of, not just Mother of Christ. Because that would have been Christotokos. The church was very careful about defining this as, from the earliest days, Theotokos, Mother of God. Um, and within the Ark, the Eucharist and the Word, just like within Our Lady, the Word made flesh within her. So you have those three items. And as we, and I just want to develop this a little bit further for the, for the purpose of the assumption. Uh, and I've got in front of me, I've been looking at the bull of the Assumption, which was released by Pope Pius XII. Now, I'm about to have an RAF jet flyover. I can hear it getting closer. They fly over every single night around the Walsingham area. It's actually American Air Force bombers, so they tend to rumble. It might not come through, but just in case it does. Um, and um, so what I wanted to do was just put, draw on a little bit about what the assumption is about. Why did Mary have to be assumed into heaven? And this is what Pope Pius XII wrote. And once again, he draws on the Church Fathers, so it's not just his teaching. And he says, St. Germanus of Constantinople considered the preservation from decay of the body of the Mother of God, the Virgin Mary, and its elevation to heaven as being not only appropriate to her motherhood, but also to the peculiar state of its virgin, uh, peculiar sanctity of its virgin state. It is written that you appear in beauty, and your virginal body is altogether holy, altogether chaste, altogether the dwelling place of God, from which it follows that it is not in its nature to decay into dust, but that it is transformed, being human, into a glorious and incorruptible life. The same body, living and glorious, unharmed, sharing in perfect life. So that is an early church father that Pope Pius XII quoted in 1950 when he wrote his bull on the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And her assumption, the dogma, the dogma no, it's not a doctrine, it's a dogma. Okay, so an explanation of that very briefly. Doctrine is when the, is, means teaching, and that's where we get the forget the ordinary magisterial teachings of the church that you'll find in something like the catechism, um, teachings on the creed, um, social life, social and justice issues, prayer, etc. This is teaching, uh, the doctrine of the church. But then the church also issues dogmas, and the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary is one of those dogmas, which is proclaimed from the See of Saint Peter. So the Pope is sitting in the seat of St. Peter, which is which we now know is directly above the bones of St. Peter. We know that. We know that now. Um, and when the Pope proclaims a dogma from that seat, that dogma becomes infallible. So it's free from error. 
So the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary is, a, is an infallible dogma. Now, people sometimes think, especially non-Catholics, oh, whatever the Pope says is infallible. No. Only when the Pope is proclaiming a dogma from the Seal of St. Peter is he exercising his, his, his infallibility. And the only two times that has happened in the last 200 years is for the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, and I think that was Pope Pius IX in 1854, and the dogma of the Assumption by Pope Pius XII in 1954, I think, or 1950. Um, I can't get the exact dates right. The beauty is that after Pope Pius IX, Pope, yeah, I think it was Pius IX, proclaimed the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, four years later, Our Lady appears at Lourdes and declares herself, I am the Immaculate Conception. And it looks like heaven is confirming the dogma. But in reality, it's the other way around. Heaven has already revealed the dogma. We are simply, Earth is proclaiming it, the, the Pope, and heaven then affirms it. So heaven has already revealed it. Um, the dogma of the Assumption has been believed in for over, you know, probably the best part of 2,000 years. You know, certainly the, the apostles believed it because they saw it. <laughs> so they witnessed it. <laughs> they saw Our Lady being assumed into heaven. Um, well, some, uh, some of them, anyway, it depends on how many of them were alive at the time, because Peter and Paul may have been martyred by the time Mary was assumed into heaven. But certainly, you know, they saw it. Um, so they believed it. And, and therefore it was passed down in oral tradition, and in writing then, and the church finally declares it as a dogma. Why did the church declare it as a dogma in the 1950s? Because the Pope writes in, in this letter that he wrote to the church, he had been petitioned by thousands of by bishops, by thousands of faithful, and he said this is part of the discernment process. It's the petition, and the teaching was clear on the assumption. So you look at the teaching on the assumption, and then you look at the the desire of the faithful, the call of the faithful, and he refers to the faithful in the bull, um, and that's what brings forth the dogma. So it's almost like earth and heaven connecting the faithful on earth and the, the revelation of God connecting together to bring about this bull. Um, very briefly, trying not to go off track, but um, Somebody was asking me, so I've been asked several times in the last few months about a servant, a woman who is a servant of God. People saying to me, when will she be canonized? And, and I just repeat back, well, when you've prayed. Because if you look on the back of all of her books, there's a, there's a prayer for her beatification. So we, the faithful, have got a very important role to play when it comes to the canonization of the saints. The Pope doesn't just decide it. We have to implore heaven to raise someone to the altar. That's how it works. Aileen, did you want to come in at this point? Um, well, as usual, I've got lots of things going through my mind, lots of questions, but I am thinking, shall we get some music on?
You are listening to Radio Maria, uh, diving deeper with Derek Williams. And we are speaking and hearing about Derek is speaking and, and we're listening um, and learning about more about Mary this evening. Um, Derek, I, you used the word typology a couple of times and I'm, I've heard it before, but I don't actually know it particularly well. Would you just explain that to us and for anybody else who might not be familiar? So a typology is a beautiful science. Um, think of the word at the end of it, logi, as in biology and um, psychology. So you've got typology. Um, and it's where we, when we read the Old Testament, we can see types of people or events in the New Testament. So the Queen Esther in Babylon is a type of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Ark of the Covenant is a type of of Our Lady. Um, King David is a type of Jesus. Um, so, and there's lots more, lots more characters, lots more um, uh, uh, scenes and figures, which are types of people and events in the in the New Testament. So that's that's what typology is. Um, and I, I really, I really enjoy studying typology. It's great fun. That's really interesting. Thank you. And. Um... You also said you could you you can, and I've heard I know Theotokos and I love that phrase Mother of God and the significance of it, mm. but I hadn't until you said she wasn't called Mother of Christ she was called Mother of God, and the, what came to my mind then is gosh did Mary somehow bear the Trinity as as a Christ but also the Trinity in a, in a, in one sense yes. Um, once again, the church has taken time to develop the dogma or doctrine surrounding Mary as mother of God. And it's believed in by both the East and the West. The word Theotokos is from the is from the East, in fact, if I remember rightly. Why not mother of Christ? Why, why, why mother of God? Why is it that? Well, because if we just called her mother of Christ, there was a heresy in the early church which declared that, which, which was along the lines of just saying that Christ was only human and the divinity was infused into him. Uh, so you have all these strange heresies trying to separate the humanity and the divinity of Christ, whereas the church has always believed um, that he had a, he was fully man, but fully God, indivisible, okay? The hypostatic union. And therefore, when Mary conceives Christ the man, she's conceiving Christ God. So she's he's, she's conceiving God in her soul, in her womb. <laughs> so, and this is one of the things that the church has been beautiful and very careful in its definition. So when we have, when we have uh, some of our Protestant brothers and sisters say, no, 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 she's only the mother of Christ. Um, we say, no, from the earliest days, the church has been careful to make, to define her office as mother of God, because uh, partly because Christ is God, Jesus is God, that cannot be discounted, but also because St. Paul writes a very interesting sentence in his writings. He says, in Christ dwells the fullness of the deity bodily. So she's in her room, she has the fullness of the Godhead bodily within her. And... Um, Oh, oh, that's right. Jesus himself says, I and the Father are one, and if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when Mary gazes upon the face of her newborn son, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah? So we, she looks upon the face of God. Yeah? Yeah? Fully man, fully God. Um, so I hope I've explained that okay. <laughs> you have, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's really beautiful. It's, it's Mary is, um, she reveals a lot about humanity and God, doesn't she? And the relationship got between God and humanity. Mary, Mary is a very important person for us. She's been assigned to us by Christ himself. And when we look at apparitions of Our Lady, for example, if we, start, if we look at the apparition of, Fat, of Our Lady of Fatima, um, she, she says to the children, that her son wishes to establish devotion in the world to her immaculate heart. So she's coming to us because of the will of her son, the will of God. She's always being sent to us 
and Christ gave her to us as a mother. And once again, this is in Pope uh, Pius XII's document on um, on the Assumption. And he talks about, um, let me just see if I can find it. Here we go. It is important to remember that from the second century onwards, the Holy Fathers have been talking of the Virgin Mary as the new Eve for the new Adam. Not equal to him, of course, but closely joined with him in the battle against the enemy, which ended in the triumph over sin and death that had been promised even in Eden. So look at that. That's part of the, the, the teaching on the assumption that Christ didn't just triumph over sin, but he triumphed over death. And as a result, Mary's union with her son shows that she could not be subject to death like we would, the corruption of death. She was freed, for, well, she, she didn't experience sin because she was preserved from original sin in the womb, the Immaculate Conception, and she didn't sin throughout her life by the grace of God and by her merits. And at the end of her life, because she's been freed from sin all her life, it would be illogical for her then to experience the corruption of death. So instead, her son, by his merits on the cross and by the merits of Our Lady, he assumes her into heaven, body and soul, which is logical. You know, um, you know, if Elijah can be taken, and if Enoch can be taken, um, then it's, it's, it's logical that the Blessed Virgin Mary is taken. It's logical. It would make no sense for her not to be assumed because the triumph is over sin and death, not just over sin. Um, so she experiences the fullness. She has the resurrection, which we are to be, which we are to experience. What has happened to her has to happen one day to us, the full resurrection. She's a great hope, isn't she? A shining light of hope for us. The star of the sea. The shining light, um, the the rising sun, um, and this is where we get to our personal relationship with Our Lady, <clears throat> because she's not just there for us to just, okay, devotionally pray our rosary, do our novenas. There is an interiority, the graces of our holiness, the graces of our sanctity, the graces of the mystical life, they come to us through Mary, because she is the mediatrix of all graces. So by being close to Mary, and the saints once again testify to this, people like Padre Pio, St. John Paul II and others, um, Mary it was who brings them the graces so that they can grow in union with Christ, her son. And she's the one who is bringing us those graces. So even if you look at, say, people who do not have a devotion to Mary, um, Pentecostal church in the Baptist or evangelical churches, all the graces for their personal holiness come from their mother. That's it. Okay, so you might say, well, hold on a minute, they haven't got a relationship with her. That does not mean she does not want a relationship with them. So she, you know, it's like any good mother. She provides for her children, even when her children are talking to her. <laughs> so... And that's just a phrase that just popped into my head, which I think really fits with the with the theme for tonight, you know. Um, but I want to finish this on a kind of a positive note, a very brief positive one. You know, when I was 24, I came across Louis de Montfort's teaching on Our Lady, 30-day consecration. I'm actually in the midst of doing one right now to consecrate myself on the Queenship of Mary. And I just want to recommend this to everyone. If you've never heard of Louis de Montfort's total consecration to Jesus through Mary. That's an important part of it. It's not just to Mary. It's a consecration to Jesus through Mary. It's a 30-day spiritual exercise. It's readily available on Amazon and good Catholic booksellers. Um, and it's, it's a very beautiful way of growing your relationship with Mary because it teaches you things about her that are pertinent to this era, this time in the church's life, the end time saints who will be devoted to Mary in a particular way. Now, I'm going to have the risk of going on too long, so I'm going to see if Aileen has got a last little melody to play before we part ways for this night. <laughs> um, uh, Derek, can I just say thank you so much for this teaching that you've offered us on Mary and 
um, I can't be alone in in experiencing aspects of Mary and uh, my relationship, our relationship to her, that have have been opened up this evening. Um, so oh, praise God. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, you often say a prayer for us. It would be so nice to hear a prayer from you this evening. Um, okay. To Mary, no to Jesus through Mary, and um, I, I don't know if I can play, play a little bit of music for you. Just give me one moment, and we'll put a little bit of music on in the in the background. Sure, no problem at all. Um, very happy to do that, listeners. I hope you get ready. This is where we ask Our Lady to open our hearts up to graces. Um, shall I carry on, Ailey? Yeah, we've got some music, Derek. Thank you. Cool. So, listeners, I'm going to ask you to invite Our Lady to come into your hearts, because Our Lady is the Queen of our hearts. And a very simple thing, give her the freedom to do whatever she wants to do in your heart. Because ultimately, she's the Queen of Peace, and she brings peace. Next Tuesday, you'll hear her about, about going to Elizabeth's house, and Elizabeth and John the Baptist are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because of Our Lady's greeting, Shalom. How about your heart right now being filled with the Holy Spirit as Our Lady visits you and speaks her Shalom into your heart to cause all the things which disturb you to fall away. All the anxieties, the fears, the worries, the stresses all fall away and for your heart to have peace peace from the blessed virgin mary in the name of jesus christ her only son amen amen